Consequences podcast with Paul McNulty and Sean McCreevy, with special guests Panny Bogdanos and Andrew Dalgano. Welcome back, everybody, to this, the third and last part of our journey into 10cc in the 1980s. I'm delighted to say that we have in our midst uh, a really big fan of the album Windows in the Jungle in in our good friend Andrew Dalgano up in Aberdeen. Hi, Andrew. Hi, Sean. Hello there. Um, Paul and I are going to be speaking a little bit about this record. Please don't be offended. Uh, It's just our opinions, but we are desperate, desperate for a little bit of a a positive injection into this podcast because we don't get it. It figures, Sean. You want to get it. This is Panny Otis here as well. (laughs) Hi, Panny. Yeah, I'll I'll be happy to interject some positivity into the album as well. Oh, that's really good. And honestly, we need it because... Paul and I simply don't get this record. Horses for courses, but I I absolutely love it. And there's no doubt at all that of all my thousands of CDs, it it is the most played album in my collection. I don't know whether that means it's my favourite album of all time, because it's probably not as technically demanding to listen to as as some of the truly great works that you've got to be in the mood for. But I always feel in the mood uh, for listening to this one. I find it very relaxing, absolutely beautiful music and and just so totally unexpected from what had gone before. Yeah, um, let me add to that, Andrew. You know, I I find it to be a a good album, a pleasant album. Uh, I I think there are some problems with it, but I also think that there's some straightforward uh, songs on it. Uh, It's more straightforward than some of the other albums that Tennessee has done in the past. You know, Eric and Grammer writing, you know, without really trying to be too clever, you know, which I think they've always attempted to do in the past. There's some good songs, uh, and they have good reputations as songwriters. Um, I think that this might have been the final nail of their collaboration, even, you know, before uh, Meanwhile and Mirror Mirror. Uh, yeah. This to me is kind of the, you know, the final Tennessee album. Well, it certainly was the final final album until they, they reconvened 10 years later. But, you know, to me, it's the album where they just completely threw away the rule book. They'd said the previous two albums haven't worked commercially. Um, we've, we've done our own thing for large chunks of those two albums. Let's really try and work again collaboratively and produce a single integrated work. And Eric's mm. in the past talked about how he, he, he wanted it to be a, a concept album and it didn't quite get there. But, you know, it's almost a concept album to my mind in the sense that, you know, four of the songs are very strongly about, about city life. The whole tone musically, every song fits in like a, you know, like, like a truly integrated work. I find the songwriting absolutely beautiful. I find Eric's vocals marvelous. Um, he's, as I, he's, as I've said in previous podcasts, he, you know, his his tonal range is fantastic. And sometimes when he's singing a more serious song, less throwaway song, it gets the best out of him. I I, I can't sing, but I, twenty four hours must be terribly difficult to sing. Uh, he does it wonderfully. 
Um, Graham, I think, did a very selfless thing. I think, as I said, they'd thrown away the rule book. They, they said they were going to. They must have decided they were going to try and do something completely different. And Graham gave up, gave up, gave up lead vocals on any song. You hear his voice doing a little bit of vocals on 24 Hours and, and City Lights uh, and Yuma Kazuma and Feel the Love. But, yeah, but that's it. And, you know, Graham's got a nice voice and it fits certain certain songs, although probably a very limited um, limited range. Andrew, can I just, yeah, can, I, can I interject there and, and say that yeah. is, is Graham's lack of involvement, rather than being a selfless gesture, is it because this is just very much Eric's project? We'll never know, and not least until you meet Graham and ask him, but I, but I strongly don't believe that. I think the, the quality of the songwriting is, is, is far, far too good. Um, you know, I've, I think many good things about Eric, but I, I don't think he can write many good songs on his own. I think all the songs in this album are, are beautiful songs. And, you know, why would it be an, an Eric solo project if every song is attributed to Stuart Goldman uh, Eric as we know can be you know is is very is very touchy about you know the relative contributions of songs that yeah. that he's written and that Graham's added to one gets the sense that he feels a bit like he's probably written 75% of them and feels a bit <laughs> a bit hard done by that Graham's yeah. getting 50% of the credit for them so totally, yeah. no I I I I just I I just don't think that at all um I think Graham's contributions to the songs, his bass playing's fantastic in it. You and I, Paul, I sense, feel the same way about this LP, don't we? Don't like it. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. It says it in three words. Sorry, I think. Uh, Am I? Are we on the same page here? We are completely on the on the same page. Um, but it it does seem to divide the fans. Uh, a lot of people yes. have a lot of admiration for it. I think Eric does. Um, I was yes. reading a review recently on online uh, on the album archives review, and uh, mm-hmm. I wonder what you think about this description. It says that it's way more emotionally satisfying than Pet Sounds. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know where they're hearing any emotion whatsoever. Yeah. That, that, well, I mean, each to his or her own. I mean, that's. I can't imagine anybody would not print a genuine review. So um, obviously, it works for that person. Pet Sounds is, is a heavy album, and most people, you know, other than the hits, wouldn't it be nice? God only knows. Sleep Job B, if you like. Uh, Caroline, no. Most of the people, when you play them the other tracks, you still believe mm. in me. I just wasn't made for these times. Don't talk. Put your head on my shoulder. I mean, those those songs are heavy songs. And if yeah. you you know, and if you feel like hearing Bob Rand, you know, because you're a Beach Boy fan, programmed to hear Bob Rand and California Girls, you can't connect to those songs unless you're in a certain mood. Yeah. And and those songs are heavy emotionally. I can put this album almost any time. And listen to it without having to be in that emotional, or you know that that uh, open-mindedness to accept the emotionalness of the album. It's not that heavy to me emotionally. No, know? exactly. It, for me, it's like a coffee table album. It kind of floats in and floats out, and, yeah. it, and it's taken probably 
10 or 15 times of listening for it to have even started to register. And I still, I still don't get any any kind of emotional reaction to the record. Well, it's, it, I, as we said, it's it's horses for courses. I don't know. The word that springs to my mind, Paul, is, is sterile. Yeah, they, they, I suppose they're to be given credit for, for for trying something really new. I mean, this record doesn't sound like 10cc to me. No. That's a good thing, I suppose, in that you wouldn't just want another retread of, say, Look Here or even 10 out of 10. They've, they've tried to reinvent themselves, and one suspects most of this is being driven by Eric. Yes. Um, he wanted, didn't he, to move into, inverted commas, album territory, yeah. where, where he wasn't relying on singles and wanted to make a bigger statement, like, like a Pink Floyd-type mm. concept, almost. But... Uh, you know, it just it just doesn't. So they're to be praised for trying that, but it it, it just doesn't work, in my opinion. No, I'm, I'm with you a hundred percent. It's not named New York, is it? But I imagine the city is New York. That's what I feel. That that yeah. and, and obviously the the track Americana Panorama. Yeah. It's very much, you know, just quoting all the, all those kind of American images. So yeah. it definitely feels like it is. But it just doesn't, I'm sorry, it doesn't capture New York. No. I'm thinking of albums like, or tracks, I should say, like Stepping Out by Joe Jackson, yep. which is almost contemporary with this, which really does capture the vibrancy and excitement of the city at night. Um, in fact, that whole album is, is seeped through with New York, isn't it? And then, and or more pointedly, maybe... Um, Godling Cream. Kevin Lowell's. Yeah. Kevin Lowell's, an Englishman in New York. I mean, you know, there's more inventiveness in any any line in that one <laughs> single line in that song than there is in the lyrics of this album. I couldn't agree more with you. It's Kevin, I think, was the, the main kind of protagonist behind those lyrics. What he was doing yeah. was, was taking a really left-field angle on these really, really strange things that they've witnessed in New York and giving them a, yeah. a, a totally new twist. But what mm. Eric seems to be doing is just mentioning things that he sees around him. Uh, you yeah. know, cars going past and th th the noise of people doing stuff. That yeah. he, doesn't, he doesn't add a new angle or twist to any of these observations. I mean, he's just observing, he, really, he isn't is. he? Uh, he, he? He's, he's observing. He's, he's literally taking photos of of what he sees around without commenting particularly yeah uh, and and that's true i think 24 hours in americana panorama uh are, are those two that kind of try to paint a visual picture don't they of, of this city but but yes. all, all we're getting is a kind of a so what yeah i have to say it's a very sort of middle class you're not engaging with the you know in in kevin lowell's uh, song you're talking about a real wide array of grotesque characters. Yes. Whereas here, it's kind of, dare we say, like a middle-class take on the city. You know, you're going to restaurants and, um, you know, uh, maybe having a romance or something. It, 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 it's at one remove, really, yeah, from it, the city. It, yes, absolutely. It's descriptive rather than insightful. Here on the street Feeling the cool of the 
Yeah, nothing new. Not absolutely nothing new. And when I think about the, the kind of songs that that do kind of list American things, uh, mm. I'm thinking of Billy Joel's um, "We Didn't Start the Fire" or REM "End of the World." Yes, yeah. they're list songs that kind of just throw stuff at you. But but the overall effect of them is of of, of criticism and satire, very much making a point that's that's effective and strong. Whereas uh, in, in all of these tracks, absolutely no emotional effect on me whatsoever. Yeah, uh, I don't know what happened. I mean, maybe he couldn't, to, trying to be fair to Eric here, maybe he couldn't complete his vision because I think he's, he felt the album was a compromise. I think he maybe wanted to link the tracks more or something. Yeah. I don't know. And you think they added, added the, 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 the attempts at singles? as a way of making the, the whole project a bit more commercial, maybe? I, no, I really don't. I don't know. I think they were under some pressure, as always, from the record company <coughs> to find a single, because 10 cc even though they hadn't had a hit single for a while by then, they were still associated with hit singles, weren't they? Yeah. So there would, have, there would have been that pressure. The thing I like most about this album, actually, is the first 10 and last 10 seconds where they, they um, <laughs> use Kit Mambo from Animal yeah. Olympics. Snap, snap. I, I hadn't noticed that till this week, actually, uh, uh, annoyingly. But um, yeah, and I, uh, I hadn't twigged, but you're absolutely right, and it works well. You can you can imagine uh, yeah, a band playing in the street, <clears throat> can't you? Yeah, it's 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 like a clockwork creep. I'm Mandy, isn't it? They they, they actually sort of. <laughs> And I think it's just a, it's just a, it's not re-recording. It's just a, it's just they're playing the track with maybe a couple of effects or something. It sounds like the original recording to me. Yeah, it's like a, yeah, it's like an, an ambient recording or something, uh, mixed in with the sound of traffic and and yeah and stuff. I, I do I do like the hard cut from the Kit Mambo intro into that car horn, which yes. signals the transition. And if um, it's about the only time there's a sort of sound picture which makes any sense on the record. But if, if they could have done stuff like that, like Kevin Lowell are so good at, mm. it it might have worked if they could have threaded those kind of pieces. But as a collection of songs, they're just they're just not up to snuff. No, I, I agree, and it, it's it's sad to say that the when you know we, we as as massive Ten CC fans. Our favourite bit of the album is is a you know a few seconds of sound effects. And that, that has echoes of, of One Night in Paris. And and I get the I get the feeling that with Eric's admiration for that track from original soundtrack, he, he really wanted to kind of revisit that concept of creating a, a visual depiction of a scene, uh, starting with sound effects. Um, but but that unfortunately for me is where any kind of comparison with One Night in Paris starts and ends. 
the sound effects at the start, but everything, everything after that is prosaic, merely descriptive snapshots of boring prosaic stuff. It doesn't doesn't it doesn't seem to go anywhere. It doesn't it doesn't do anything. It doesn't say anything. Melodically, it doesn't do anything interesting. It it's a kind of a so what. And that, and, that, and and I'm honestly not saying that for effect. It's it's just the effect that it has on me. The sound effects yeah. are the most interesting thing about this track. And the message is clear. Once a year Andrew, Andrew, let me take it first, okay? Because I know you probably have a lot to say. Uh, Sean, you know, uh, I agree with you. It, it is an interesting track on a certain level, and it is very visual. You know, Eric talking about, you know, hustle and bustle the day. Uh, yeah. You know, getting started and things. I, I find it to be, you're going to laugh when I say this, Sean, but I find <laughs> a distant cousin of 5 o'clock in the morning by Godly and Cream. No, no, I, I, I see that. I see that. Yeah, yeah and... I, it makes me wonder if Eric was listening to that song when he, you know, was inspired to write this. Um, I, I also think that, you know, the middle section uh, with the guitar is kind of an Eric Stewart trademark that, you know, that power lead mm. guitar pops into the center of it. Yeah. But it, just like you say, it kind of plods along, really doesn't go anywhere, doesn't really develop. No, that, no, uh, that's right. But yeah. love, lovely. I love your reference to consequences. There, it's interesting yeah. that this album was rec- recorded in in Stockport at Strawberry North, and not down south in Surrey. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. yeah and you know, and uh, as, but, as an aside, it's, as, that's because Strawberry South had had closed. Right. Um, right. So Paul and I in the in the, in our last conversation were just wondering whether a little bit of consequences are kind of seeped in. <laughs> yeah, and and you know it's amazing how five o'clock in the morning came to my mind. You know, yeah, the, you know that line about the toothpaste. You know, oh yeah, you know, which you know, you've talked about on your podcast coming out like a snake or whatever. However, yeah, yeah. you know, I mean, I I kind of got that visual not so much in in, in this song, but. That kind of kept popping into my head, you know, when I was listening to this again. Um, I also, you know, one thing that I always find about this song in terms of the whole album, uh, I find this to be an introduction to the album. I don't yes. know if that says anything. You know, it, it's a bit long for an intro, but it seems to be set up as an intro for what's to come. Uh, well, on a, a certain- an intro to the concept of this 24 hours in the city. Yes, exactly. Yeah, whether it works or not, uh, I don't know. But, you know, I, I find that some of the uh, narratives of the city life, you know, the jungle, you know, uh, Windows in the Jungle, even the title, you know, I, I don't know if it works, for, you know, uh, completely or not. And let Andrew have his say. <laughs> I think the sounds are fantastically evocative. I think, you know, it's not trying to be war and peace. It's trying to take a, a, a snapshot of things that are going on during 24 hours of, of, of city life. And um, mm. I'm not looking for any kind of any further deep analysis of that. I'm just kind of listening to just, I hear wonderful melodies. melodies. I hear um, a completely different songwriting style. As I said to you, the, you know, the rule book had been rewritten, hadn't it? And yes. I think probably every single song on the previous two albums had been verse, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, middle eight, verse, chorus, and this was something, something, something very different. But 
you know, Eric's. It really gives Eric's vocals a, a chance to to shine. It gives us gives us a bit more seriousness, getting rid of the overly quirky feel for some of the previous songs. I think the, the sax playing on it's um, fantastic as well. So I think yeah. Um, the production. I don't know who's producer, but it brings brings it to life very well. I think it's a wonderful song. Yeah, it, yeah. it was engineered by Martin Lawrence, who, who of course engineered Consequences, and uh, Chris Jones. There's definitely a different sound, isn't there? A, a kind of a more mature AOR sound to it. Very polished. It's been a hell of a day in the city. That's your time to play. He's certainly singing well. Um, uh, as, all, as always, there's a thrill when you hear him sing because he's such a bloody good singer. Yes. Uh, but eventually that dissipates because it you know it's more of the same as you go but certainly mm. when you hear him open opening vocals on an album he's a great singer and you know oh, what can he say that it's always yeah. lovely to hear him and sing it, yeah and it's a shame he's not got better material to sing here the the, the yeah. verse just drones along it's, it's yeah. literally there's one bass drone note uh, yeah. um with with no kind of changing chords above it particularly and it just it just dribbles along letterbox noise Snapping the day into life Newspaper boys Cutting the mist like a knife uh, and, and of course he, he lifts Feel the Benefit uh, again uh, in the solo, it, it, to my ears anyway. So that feels like retreading old ground. Yeah, I thought you were going to say he lifts Feel the Benefit in American Pan- Americana Panorama, which he does as well. Yes, he does, he does. Um, it, I mean, it's exactly the same sequence. Which is, which is odd, but um, mm. yeah. I mean, there's a, a nice attempt to do a Godly and Cream hard cut in, into a section which feels like Graham's largely behind it. You know, the kind of the the, the kind of drug scene um, with those slightly annoying vocals. Is a, uh, with, there's a nice contrast where it kind of it, it cuts to a more rhythmic, a, a totally different feel. I said, Phil, can you get it? Everything about it, in terms of its its presentation and the way they're branding it, is very very different. The old classic logo is gone, yes. and they've got a, a, a very new look. It's it's almost hypnosisy in its in its design. Uh, which I I, I I really like actually, and I, I love the inner sleeve with all those those tiny images um, of the band on tour. Uh, it's quite mm. sort of surreal, almost uh, godly and cream esque, really. Uh, yeah. And the the artwork is is very the, the sort of the block shapes in blue, the the holes in the sleeve that that give you literally windows into kind of sepia photographs inside. Uh, yeah, is a is a really interesting new look, and there's something really interesting on the on the back cover, Paul, where mm-hmm. it, it gives the credits, and it it doesn't say written and produced by Eric and Graham, it says written and directed by. Huh. So it, right. it, it clearly, in in Eric's mind, he thought he was putting together a kind of a, a, an audio movie. Yes, or it could just be a little dig at Kevin Lowell, who were pretty much in 
at the at the peak of their sort of reputation as video directors. I don't know. Yeah, he was kind of having a pop himself, wasn't he? At, at, at trying to put um, cinematic stuff down on tape. Um, yeah. And maybe as this was interestingly recorded in Stockport rather than than down south in Surrey, uh, it's, it's, it's almost like the the, the the ghost of consequences is in the air. Maybe yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, maybe um, maybe inspiring Eric to to come up with something more cinematic. Yeah, it's really interesting that for the only time um, an entire album is pretty much done back at Strawberry North mm. after the after the split. Yeah, it doesn't really sound like a Strawberry North record, does it? Doesn't sound like Stockport, does it? No. You know, you can't imagine walking out of three waterloo road and or walking in and hearing this it just it just doesn't sound i mean that's not the intention of course i i respect the fact that 10cc were trying something very different here i wish they'd gone for a full concept album um americana panorama is sort of a one of those tracks that that does try to steer the album in that direction not entirely successful i don't think but i think because the the lyrics don't go far enough in commenting on those american references they kind of list them but they don't yeah. they don't seem to be they don't seem to have any insight about those things you know linking martin luther and bb king for example throwing in nixon but not not making any comment. You, you you feel like you want to grab it by the scruff of the neck and say, "Come on, guys, say something biting or satirical, or nasty or funny." But it just yeah. kind of the references kind of just dribble past, don't you think? So you don't think they they did it as well as Godlin Cream did on Englishman in New York? Then? Well, the, the comparison honestly is is chalk and cheese. You'll hear what. What Paul and Paul says, particularly about that, Andrew, and what Paul said was, "No, that, I'm, I'm, what, I'm kind of agreeing." But. Yeah, but what Paul said was that, that every single line of Englishman in New York has more punch and bite and comment than than in the entire lyric of this whole album, and and that's what that's probably actually my major criticism of the whole record here is that. The, ly- the lyrics don't comment, they don't give in any insight, or they don't dig under the surface of a day in New York. And that's what it's talking about, a day in New York. But it's, it's, not, it's not throwing out anything interesting, anything dirty or fascinating or, or surreal. Do you know what I mean? Oh, I feel the pressure Yeah, I do. I understand what you're saying. This is not my favorite song. I, I do like the references to Martin Luther and B.B. Keane and uh, John Lennon, you know, Dr. Winston, yep. uh, JFK. And, and, and Sean, you're absolutely right. You know, the one lyric starts, uh, Tricky, uh, what does it say? Uh, Tricky didn't make it, but it's yep. parts to Oscar, you know, Tricky Dicky for, for Nixon. Yeah. But, you know, what is, what is Eric writing about? You know, is he writing about... You know, the madness of New York, uh, the bigness, the over-commercialism, you know, he doesn't, you know, the central, you know, the central theme of the song is, like you say, Sean, it's listing stuff, but it doesn't seem to have a comment on anything. There's no mm. real central idea that he's commenting on. Uh, I do want to point out, too, 
Uh, he mentions Burger Queens. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if you two know this. In the States, we have Burger King like they do in the UK. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. And we also, and we also have uh, another fast food outlet that's a bit rare now, but it's still around in places called Dairy Queen. Okay. So Eric kind of tied in Burger King and Dairy Queen to create Burger Queens. But we don't have Burger Queens. So it's just something that you guys might like. <laughs> But it, also like the same way he mixed up Mar- mixed in Martin Luther King and BB King. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. And I was also going to mention he he does say uh, pretzel logic uh, does apply. Oh, fast food uh, something uh, fast food junk food gets you by. Uh, That's I just right. And, and, you- I, I, and obviously, Steely Dan has been a, a kind of an, an, an un, unstated influence, hasn't it? Right from the, the very first album. Yeah, and I wonder if that's exactly what I'm saying, is that he's, you know, mentioning Steely Dan and maybe foreshadowing uh, kind of in an unconscious way that, you know, maybe they'll, you know, work with Steely Dan or, you know, they ended up working with Gary Katz for the Meanwhile album. Yeah. But uh, one, one thing I do remember seeing, uh, there, there's a line in the song, uh, Big Apple, Ripe Banana. Somebody, uh, one review I, I said, you know, where Eric, he said that Eric totally missed it, where he should have said Americana Panorama, Reagan was a ripe banana. Americana Panorama, big ripe banana, fight but keep your backs against the wall. Well, you know, Reagan, you know, had his critics over here, and uh, mm. at the time, you know, when he was in office, uh, you know, they, they were dealing with, you know, so many things, and you know, Reagan, you know, he used to be a movie actor in Hollywood, so there was yes. a lot of criticism on that, and yeah. a lot of people he, making about that, and he was just a big banana thrown into this. <laughs> but, you know, I... I I want to make a point, you know, uh, Andrew, you mentioned the uh, saxophone play uh, mm-hmm. on this album. Sometimes I find it to be very grating. I'm, trying to, I'm just trying to think, maybe it's Americana Panorama, uh, but one of the songs just has this, you know, it's the one that goes, that fades out and then fades into the next song. That's uh, it, that's exactly what you're talking about, this uh, one. Yeah, sax- they, they segue yeah. into each other. Yeah, it's the end of Yes I Am and the start of America Panorama. Yeah, it's very interestingly done, actually. Has that screeching sax that gets a bit redundant. I, I find it to be, God, when's this going to end and get on to the next track? I, I mean, I don't know. I but early in earlier parts of the song when the sax come in, I mean, it almost turns into uh, "Careless Whisper" by Wham. You know, uh, <laughs> that's no bad thing, is it? That's a wonderful song. Yeah. So it's very interesting. We have two connections to consequences then, because the saxophonist is is Mel Collins. Who, yeah. You oh, played wow. sax on, on Consequences, and then you say the same. Did you say engineer or, or producer? That's right. Martin Lawrence was the was the main engineer working with with Eric, and of course the you know the Strawberry Stockport connection. So there's three, three con- connections. Yeah, but honestly, the two records couldn't be further apart in, in my mind. Yeah, I kind of agree with that too, Sean. Uh, yeah, I, I, I can. They're very different, despite the similarities that you've pointed out to yeah. Five O'Clock. Yeah. I think that I, think, I, I wouldn't dream of saying 
And I think that they're, they're, they're just very, very different albums. And yeah, and, and, and that's not music, that's not a negative, album. is it? That's not that that yeah. actually isn't a negative. You never asked me to love you. I did it all by myself. You didn't make me no promises. I think even worse, though, are Yes, I Am and Working Girls. I think they're, <laughs> they're my least favourite. I can't... I've written that down because I wouldn't remember the titles otherwise. Yes. But I, I, I've seriously listened to this record and tried to approach it, approach it with open ears. I don't... You know, I don't want to knock knock it just for the sake of it. That's not that's not fair, but... Sorry, just don't, don't like it, really. No, no, I, I, and I can see why. I mean, there, there are... Saving Graces, even in Yes I Am, which, which starts well, I think. Okay. It's it sort of a promising intro, and then it just des- it descends into a kind of a sub Christopher Crossness, uh, yeah. into very sort of sugary AOR. Um, That's got another sax solo, isn't it? Yes I yeah. Am. Yeah, um, and the the whoa is are mildly hooky, and but mm. ultimately, I think the song's just repetitive and dull. It's not until the end where you get that lovely vocal harmony that, that segues into, into Americana Panorama, right. where, where there's anything to write home about, particularly. But um, I wish I had a lyric sheet for this album in front of me. I don't, because it would be, it'd be interesting to kind of do a critique. But I, I sense that Yes, I Am is a song that Eric's written about his kind of post-accident um, recovery and well-being. Oh, okay. You see, yeah, I didn't really pick that up at all. That makes it more interesting right away. If yeah. That's the case. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I'd like to hear what Andrew says about that. You took the pain from my body. Now I'm ready for love. Yes, I am. If you if you take a look, you know, if you if you Google what is the views, you get the widest spectrum of uh, people that dislike this album and like this album uh yes i think more so than most any of the other 10 c mark two albums but what's interesting is i remember one uh reviewer or you know somebody who commented somewhere said that you know this is a more of an eric solo album hmm. and it looks into eric's soul or his writing comes more from the heart he, he says that you know I, I think he says something to the effect that you know after eric's car crash uh, which had happened you know a few years at this point a few years prior you know uh, eric seems to be just writing from a whole different point of view than he ever did before yeah it, it, he's he's not writing you know from the brain or the funny bone he's writing more from the heart yeah that's a good point you put the fire in my heart and i'm ready for love yes i am it's very interesting that we're following the assumption that these lyrics must all be Eric's and mm. that you know, we return into the subject of just how much of a solo album of Eric's it is. And I, I wonder, as I've said, don't believe that. But uh, That's I don't know. I, I think that the whole rule book, the whole rule book was rewritten for this, for this album. Um, I, don't, I don't know why it would, would follow that, that, that Eric's the primary lyric writer on this one. I certainly don't think he is for Yes, I Am, which I think is Graham coming out of his dark spell from Look Here and, and some of Ten Out of Ten and, and finding another 
person in his life to love and I think it's a truly beautiful love song probably the second best ballad after I'm not in love That's interesting. For me, that's that's Eric coming out of his accident and, and moving into a kind of a, I don't know, a phase of well-being and positive mental health. It's interesting that my take on it is completely different to yours, but I respect yours. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you, Sean. I think it's more of a Eric tune, more so. I mean, when you look, you, were, you know, Yes I Am, it, it sounds a bit corny, but it's corny in the way that Eric would write a corny tune, you know? Um, <laughs> I mean, I mean, what's the what's the first line? You never. Well, it's a love song, isn't it? It's you never asked me to love you. I did it all by myself, etc., etc. Et so funny. I think it's about Eric's about Graham's new girlfriend or wife or something. Yeah, you could be right. I mean, I, I never. I mean, I've always heard it as being Eric. And his song. pain being that you know he was clearly very pained from um, from his divorce as yeah. we as we look here. Yeah. yeah interesting. Yeah, yeah, that that is fascinating, Andrew. Fascinating. So is your so is your take though I have to say. Mm. Yeah, we, we need we need to re- readdress. <laughs> but that's great. But that's the whole Do point like of this conversation. But working girls is actually, would you believe it? Secretly, one of huh. my favourite tracks on the album. Okay. And the, the only reason for that is that it's at least trying to be a bit more catchy and hooky. Mm. There's a kind of call and response in the vocals, um, and the and Graham's bass vocal kind of harks back to good old times. Yes. And there's even a Good Morning Judge guitar solo in it as well. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. We're, we're struggling hard, aren't we here, we, Paul? We are struggling. Thank goodness you got Panny and Andrew to take <laughs> up the slack. You know what is after? It's always the same. Paul and I fell out over two of the catchier songs on the album. Paul really likes City Lights, and I quite like Working Girls. Um, yeah. But, you know, we, we, we kind of mutually dislike the other two. Andrew, where do you stand on, on those two, the, the kind of more commercial uh, songs on the album? Um, and, of course, the other commercial song was a single, wasn't it? Feel the Love, which we haven't touched on at all. Yeah, and, and Food yeah, for Thought, uh, which I, we'll come on to. Yes. Yeah, I think, for me, the the very best of the Marvelous album is the first three songs. So Food for Thought and Working Girls, I do like very much. I, I like them both. I think um, I originally thought, until I studied the, the lyrics to Working Girls, that it must have been about prostitutes but yeah so it's it's actually could have been inspired by the dolly parton film nine to five dolly parton ah. and jane fonda it really yeah. is about um yeah. you know just girls going to work and or whatever the typing pool and um being taken advantage of etc yeah i think it's it's another one which isn't profound lyrically but it's interesting lyrically and uh, another another very very nice song, I think. Yeah, very catchy, catchy and hooky for me. A working girls, yeah. which I like, right. and, and there's not yeah, a lot of that going on on this album. Working girls are lost in dreams, buried in a paperback romance. 
I think, Andrew, you mentioned that you thought at first it was about prostitutes. You know, and I had that same initial idea, but when I started looking at the lyrics about it, it, it is about girls working in a, a male-dominated business world. And, you know, they sell their sh their souls to get a pay raise or a little bit of power, and they're kind of giving up their principles, you know, to succeed. And, you know, I, could, I just think of these male bosses just you know, kind of putting them in positions where they have to play this game to impress their boss, you know, they have to kind of, you know, put their guard down a bit and even uh, act differently. I think I think one of the lines in the song says something about, uh, you know, playing a cat and mouse game or something. Yeah. You know, you know, and it's, and it's, and it's, I think Eric is writing about sexism and how, you know, the males are taking advantage uh, of these things and he's kind of warning you know the working girls to be careful I think it's a fascinating song you know in terms of the uh, you know, the subject and the, and the topic uh, interesting yeah I mean uh, again if you look I mean maybe I'm over analyzing the, the lyrics you know but I think I think there's even one part of, about the song where you know when the girls are back in the office they, they tend to kind of play their roles again even though they may have kind of pushed it a little bit you know before that uh anyway i it's just it's one of the songs that i think i'm going to dig into a little bit more because i'm, I'm finding now that i've revisited again after mm. and i would just just add panny that you know again we're assuming it's eric yeah i obviously completely failed in my <laughs> attempts to try and demonstrate that this is a very much a joint work between eric and 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 graham i very strongly believe that lyrically i suspect that most of the lyrics did probably come from from eric yeah. i can quite possibly believe that the working girls is a graham song I, I just i just think it's wrong to assume it's all eric no i i yeah. i'm kind of with you there andrew yeah i kind of with you and that that might be the reason why it's my second favorite song on the album it's just that there's a spirit there a kind of a, mm. a, a jauntiness in the in the melody that it mm. feels graham to me um, I like that mm -hmm. there's a call and response um, yeah. between the vocals, and uh, that's a that's a nice hook, and I think hooks are missing from this record, and, and I think Working Girls provides some of the only hooks on the record, uh, and and, I, and of course it throws in a Good Morning Judge uh, guitar solo as well, which is nice. Yes, yes. Yeah, I was going to mention the guitar break. It's yeah. it's, it's it's almost as expected, and. Uh, you know, talking about Graham lyrics, you know, the working girls are dressed to kill, posing for some glossy magazines. I mean, I, I think that's Eric singing that part. Uh, it feels like Graham's voice kind of echoing back in the lower octave. Right. Glossy yeah. magazines. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that would be more of a Graham lyric, though, too. Uh, yeah. Possibly, yeah, I, I, possibly. But uh, but there's a spirit of Graham in that one, and and I don't think the spirit of Graham is evident in many of the other tracks, to be frank. Yeah, it's, it's almost like, you know, Graham stepped aside and let Eric do as much of it as he wanted to. Kind of oh. let... <laughs> Yo, no. Andrew, Andrew, fight back. Honestly, I, 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 do, I, do, I don't see it. <laughs> apart, from the, apart from the obvious bits where, where Graham will have a section of a song, where you, yeah. can, you can really, we, like we discussed before, where he comes in with a sharp cut, everything feels like it's... 
Eric driven, Eric sung, Eric produced, and, Gra- Eric, and Graham's but, just there as a session guy. Yeah, it, it, yeah but, uh, I like, so strongly disagree with that because uh, it, it does kind of really boil down to me thinking the melodies are wonderful, and um, yeah. I just don't think Graham would be capable. Eric would be capable of writing those. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, I've already said I think yes, yes, I am. So Graham lyric, and I think probably Working Girls as well. Mm. I wonder maybe if if, just, if when they, we they really collaborated in the lyrics, they really did throw out the rule book, didn't they? So maybe they genuinely, really, really said, look, let's give us a real fun girl, properly working together. <laughs> I understand that City Lights. It's another one, nice one, because it's got a solo patch for Graham. So yes. it's, only, it's only that one in 24 hours where he features. And it's nice mm. when they have the um, the contrast between Eric and Graham's vocals. Yeah, I like them both. I agree with you, Andrew. And uh, City Lights, to me, you know, it's it's pretty inspired. You know, the section that has the funky, you know, home from or You know, that, that whole, yep. to me, really... Very Graham, yeah. very Graham section that, isn't it? Yeah, very, very Graham. Mm. Uh, yeah. It again, it's uh, very similar to the feel of Alcoholics Anonymous, mm. you know, uh, with that strong bass line. Home from work, got your money in your pocket, pull on your boots, brand new suit if you had the chance you'd hock it for a night. On the- I, you know, when I when I look at that title, City Lights, the thing that comes to mind, and I don't know if this was you know an unconscious thing. Uh, is the uh, Chaplin movie called City Lights, which mm. was, you know, one of the first uh, movies to kind of, uh, you know, dwell on city life and kind of show that, you know. Uh, I mean, it, you know, I think that City Life was done in uh, 27 or 1928 or 27. It's a very early film, but uh, I, I just wonder if they were trying. I, I don't think there's an obvious connection, but I think there's maybe a subtle uh, subconscious connection to that. Maybe. Uh, yeah, maybe not. I don't know. Yeah, the, the song seems a bit more trite and, su- and kind of superficial, really, to be honest. I, I like yeah. that that extra funky section. The, yeah. co- the chorus is quite catchy. But for me, it's all... It feels like a, a trite attempt by middle-aged blokes to have a hit. You know, it, it's kind of a... a, a Going back to that kind of Christopher Cross thing, it's like our, our favourite bands, Panny. You know, dare we mention the Beach Boys yet again? You know, <laughs> where they where they're in their forties or fifties, you know, perish the thought, and they're, and they're desperately trying to have a catchy yep. hit. This one reminds right. me of of a track from Carl Wilson's debut album. Where he, he thinks, hey, this is this is going to really set the charts alight, because this is you know up tempo and yeah, it's catchy, but it, it feels to me like a band who are kind of out of touch with what's happening either in the charts or more importantly, what's what's happening in you know in the record shops uh, stateside and, and in Britain. They they just don't seem to be landing any hits here, Andrew. For me. It sounds good. Well, it's, it's, no, me, it's it like sounds a, good, like a, but it, it it sorry. It's it's just not it's not landing. The songs just don't they don't have lyrical presence. They don't the melodies don't land properly. They're not powerful. The hooks 
don't hit. Uh, and it, it's just everything feels like it's failing and it just goes in one ear and out the other. And I can't escape that. Yeah, well, I think, you know, if we were to go, I know I can understand how important, how much importance you place on the lyrics to a song. But, you know, if we were to look at the history of pop music and look at the great hits in the world, how many of them are profound lyrically, it's it, it, it's it's very, very few, I think. I no, think, no, absolutely. I but... think it is, I think it's, this is this is about two guys who are trying to get back in touch. These are, this is superficially the album for me when 10CC stopped trying to be wings and tried to be dire straits. I think they were looking at, I think they were looking at, you know, you know, what will, what will be rewarding, um, not financially, but kind of rewarding us, a, you know, integrated mm. piece of work that stacks up caring less about the hits. Cause you know, they've given up the idea of this, these kind of poppy songs and, and, and gone, gone for something very different. I, no, I'm with I you. Just, I'm with you. Yeah. yeah, and I just don't agree on the melodies. I, I just adore the melodies on this album. Mm. I think it's, uh, for 10CC, it's a more of a uh, AOR album, you know, yep. album or dated yep. rock album. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. feel alright, no time for feeling sorry. You go down to the club with My favourite song on the record is City Lights. Don't know what you think about that one. Yeah, not not a particular fan. What? Why do you like City Lights? Um, I like it because it's catchy. It's a bit silly, but and it's also, I think, the only song which Graham sings a large portion of. And I wonder whether he wrote a large portion of that. It's just, it's just catchy. It's just got a bit more energy, and it sounds different to the rest of the material. Again, it's the same kind of contrast that happens in in 24 hours, where yeah, you suddenly sure. get this injection of, of of new blood. I like that. There's some some nice some nice chords in the in the intro, and the intro yeah. sounds like a, a Goldman riff. I think. <laughs> yeah, that's why I think it probably is a Graham song. All the all the all the sort of the trademark pieces are there. Yeah, um, and uh, the melody reminds me of Slap and Tickle by Squeeze. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, but again, it, it, it's an attempt to be up tempo and catchy, um, but it comes just ends up being a bit trite, in my opinion. Was was it a single? Uh, I don't even know. I remember them uh, this concert that I mentioned on the last episode when I talked about seeing them at the the Regal in Hitchin. Yeah, uh, they were the. I can remember they played Feel the Love and they played City Lights. Okay. And probably other tracks from the album, maybe mm-hmm. one or two. That, so I don't know. Maybe it was a single. Maybe it wasn't. By that stage, there was no way they were going to have a hit. Uh, you know, it's interesting. We're talking about you know this album being successful or not, and, and I always found it interesting that uh, "Feel the Love." I don't know if you guys know this, it was the top 10 hit in the Netherlands. Yeah, they, were, they, they always yeah. loved 10cc, didn't they, in Holland? Mm-hmm. I saw you so pretty Your face lit up the same Two worlds came together The memory stays forevermore what, what do you think about the single, Feel the Love? I think both the songs that I 
think were singles that I've seen videos for. Oh, okay. Feel the Love and Food for Thought. I think they're both dreadful. Um, feel, feel the love. Feel the love. It, again, it, it, because it's reggae, I instantly <laughs> dislike it. I love reggae yeah. as a genre, but it, I just, yeah. I'm at, by this stage, Paul, sick to death of 10cc trying to dredge up another another hit single by going down the Dreadlock Holiday route. Dreadlock Holiday, terrific record, my opinion, yeah. love it. But the, but it's, it's kind of like this deliberate and obvious device to see if they can they can kind of flick the, the corpse to get it to move, uh, you know, just a twitch. But uh, I think Feel uh, yeah. the Love's got a boring chorus, got trite lyrics, it's a bad, yeah. a bad dub reggae, you know, it's long, it's boring, I'm sorry. Yeah, I don't know whether the, the reggae thing was that calculated. I think they always liked reggae. There was always a reggae influence going back to, you know, stuff like crickets, you know, yes. on the straw. So, and I'm, I think Eric as well was a genuine fan of reggae. I don't think, I don't think it was calculated in I think he genuinely liked writing songs like that, but yeah. um, but but okay, this song isn't just isn't very good. I mean, maybe the most interesting thing about this song is the video, which of course was directed by Kevin Lowell. Yes, it was, and it was the only time really the four of them, well, the only time that the four of them worked together. Okay, aside from Meanwhile, I suppose, but that's a whole other whole mm. other thing. Yes, there's that picture of the four of them. Have you seen that on the set of the video? Yes, and I like that. I like that picture very much. Yeah, it's just nice to see the four of them together, isn't it? Yeah, and, and um, they, 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 there's clearly a lot of fondness. Um, our, our friend Nigel was kind enough to send us some audio clips of radio interviews and stuff. And yeah. there's, a, there's a lovely one where Eric and Graham are being interviewed, I think, on Radio 1. Was it mm -hmm. Round Table? And, I think it was Round Table. Yeah, I remember unexpectedly, hearing it at the time. Yeah, unexpectedly um, Kevin Godley turns up on the phone and they, yeah. they, they have a lovely chat. Clearly, yeah. uh, you know, there's there's no animosity. They're clearly very fond uh, of each other, and it, it's wonderful. It's nice to know that they were working again on this video. But yeah, um, is that is that on our shared folder, by the way? Now? Yes, that, it is. Um, it is. Yeah, okay. along with a lot of other goodies. Couple of things on YouTube of them doing "Feel the Love" on Pebble Mill at one. Yes, I saw that, and that didn't um, didn't Kevin Lowell did a do a video for this? Yes, I was going to ask you guys if you enjoyed the video for that one. I can't, I I, I can't even remember if I've, <laughs> I've seen it. To be honest, I honestly don't remember it. I, oh, I, you must go and look it up then. Is uh, it any good? Um, on YouTube afterwards, it really is. Actually, you know, I've. I, I think Kevin Lowell have made some very good videos, and yet I'm not a particular fan of the video work. Yes. I adore their music, but I think some of their videos are very overrated. I like this one. It's very politically incorrect. The theme of it is a guy and a girl playing kind of a half combination, a combination of kind of a half tennis and a half like, yeah, kind of like no. a computer game version of tennis. And they're featured a lot. There's some lingering shots of the girl bending over, but then completely in the side of the, it's like a tennis court. And Graham and Eric are dressed incredibly smartly in suits, and the heads turning from side to side as the tennis match is going on. And they're surrounded by 
sort of semi-naked people as if they're in a sauna. <laughs> um, it's not politically correct, but it's, it's actually really good. And it was really nice that um, this was to be the point where they made up their differences to some extent yes. and, and, and worked together again yeah. for the first time. Yeah, watch that video. It's really good. Uh, no, we'll, we'll do, definitely. Is Eric wearing his sunglasses? <laughs> He is. He actually looks very cool on that one. I think he'd lost some weight for this for that that shot. And uh, Graham looked probably cooler than he'd ever looked in his life. He's wearing sunglasses as well. Um, yeah, no, it was, it was really good. Even the first time I heard it, I think I I bought this when I was in Europe in '84. Took a little longer for me to get into this album then. It's it's not one that I play that often, and when I do play it, I have a tendency to skip of mm. songs on the CD, the nine songs, including the B sides. I tend to skip three or four of the songs, and yep. it feel the love is one of them. The Ooh Mama Shuba just drives me nuts. I I meant to mention that earlier, <laughs> whatever that that word is. Yeah, I, I, Andrew, you might be the only person in the universe that can pronounce that Uma. Shazauma, is that have I said it Something right? Something like that. <laughs> I mean, like that. I mean, yeah, on the al- on the on the album, at least they've had the decency of calling it "Feel the Love," Uma Shazauma. But the single was actually, wasn't it? Actually, Uma Shazauma. Can you imagine going yeah. into into Woolies <laughs> or W H Smiths and saying, "Oh, could I have? Um, I've got this forty five p record voucher. Could I have Uma Shazauma?" Yeah, it's strange, though. You're absolutely right, um, and it was a bit similar to to the album title for "Look Here," which even Eric introduced in concert as "Look Here, Are You Normal?" Yeah, to, to know um, what it was called. <laughs> Very bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> I think "Feel the Love." I think we can all agree. Feel. We'll maybe agree on one thing: "Feel the Love" is a better title than "Uma" as "Uma." Yes. Thank you. Yeah. And again, that reggae beat, that reggae sound that it has, again, it's, uh, I think they're still trying to tap into the Dreadlock Holiday yeah. sound. Oh, God, yeah, again. Yeah, they're trying to, you know, it, it's kind of like, Sean, um, I don't know if Andrew's so familiar, but, uh, you know, the Beach Boys released Kokomo, and then uh, they did an album called uh, Summer in Paradise. Yeah. And every song on Summer in Paradise has tropical noises and sounds and tries to capture that Kokomo feel. And Everybody re- knows. They certainly do, don't they? Yeah, and, and uh, I remember asking Bruce Johnson about that and, and saying, you know, you know, Bruce, every song has that Kokomo <laughs> feel. And uh, he just gave me a snide look and said, well, I'm still doing things now, you know? And I, and I thought, oh, thought to myself, Bruce, you're such an asshole. I mean, uh, <laughs> and we can we can smell the coconuts. What do you think of the closing song, Taxi Taxi? <laughs> I like how it ends, but for me, no, it kind of fades back into it kind of fades back into twenty four hours, which is nice. You've got a, a top and tail to the album, you know, a, an intro and an outro. That's good. But the song itself, Taxi Taxi, I was I was listening to it again today, yet again. I was struck with the thought, and I swear this isn't just controversial, is Taxi Taxi the worst song that 10CC ever released? 
And the reason I say this is because there only seems to be two notes in it. Taxi. Well, that's one note. Call a taxi. Get a taxi. Get a taxi. It kind of it's, it pounds you over the head um, forever. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, there's not really much to that song. I, I, it's the end of the day. You're tired. You've been out partying after work, whatever. You got to go home and get ready for the next day. You know, time yeah. to close the door, I think it says. The counter vocals are okay. Yeah, you no, I, I like it when it goes into counterpoint. I like that part. But but I I think it's almost a parody of something Tipsy C uh, was famous for in the past. You know, but but in mm. a bad way. I mean, the little section that talks about the fan, you know, you know, meeting in a fancy restaurant, right? Yeah. You know, something about a fancy restaurant, blah, blah, blah. I mean, they've used that idea before where they kind of switch the visual to something completely different. Yeah. Then, yep. they, then it goes, it talks about, you know, going to a tropical place and then boom, you're back to reality. You know, you're in a cold, dark, you know, city in a taxi coming home and you're half a you know, uh, again, I, I think it works, you know, when it goes into the 24-hour ending. I, I think that bit works okay, you know, to kind of reprise that. But, yes. uh, yeah, the song is just kind of like, ugh, you know, it's not, one of my, it's not one of my favorite ones on the album. I mean, it's it's okay. Yes. But, but <laughs> hey, that, that driving beat in it kind of just gets a little bit, it's kind of like, what's this going to end? I mean, yeah, it, I, I, it takes actually. Have you timed it? I don't know if you've used your stopwatch on this, Penny, yeah. but have you noticed that the fade out of Taxi Taxi yeah. actually takes 24 hours? Yeah, it seems like it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Andrew, Andrew I, I feel yeah. we're, we're, we're kind of. Yeah, we're not, uh, hey, we're not you guys it. have described so many, so many different aspects to this song, and yet you still think there's only two notes in it. <laughs> Yeah, no, we'll go for, yeah, well, we'll fight, fight back. I, I, you know, please. And I love the, I love the, I love the. It wasn't just the. You're absolutely right. The intro of 24 Hours is the same as the outro of Taxi Taxi, and I also love the fact that there's a couplet in both, both um, songs as well. It's been a hell of a day in the city. You now yeah. it's time to get away, which is in both songs. I think that's kind of almost spine tingling. Not that I'm saying it's lyrically profound, but it just. It's nice, yeah. isn't it, to have that cir- that full piece. circle. It's nice. It really is. I mean, it's just, that's what it is. It's a circle of twenty-four hours in mm. of life in a in a city, and it's the start and the it's the start and the stop. Laborious verses and kind of that 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 kind of plastic Christopher Crossness and there are attempts at things aren't there like the the harmonies are trying to mimic taxi horns I think yeah um but uh, you know previous people have done that so much more effectively look godly and cream on Englishman in New York yeah use yeah. the actual horns don't they uh yeah to be right. car horns and Brian Wilson does that amazing train whistle thing on on a mix of heroes and villains <laughs> 
they use some heavy hitters literally in the case of steve gadd on this record yeah you know one great drummer brilliant, great drummer but he's not know, used is he he doesn't he just tends to hit the drums really hard on this record for some reason that's what i'm hearing yeah and um, there's, there's very little of interest for him to do i don't think there are many interesting drum parts if a drummer can sound bored he actually sounds bored i mean i don't yeah. know whether he was it whether he was just sort of looking at his watch and and uh, banking the checks i really don't know maybe he was more into it than that i don't know but uh, it's hard to he tell doesn't... because he's given such i think he's, he's given such straightforward parts to play and I, yeah, I, I, I think paul burgess uh, recorded some way more interesting drum parts than that on the on the two previous albums there's some great drumming um, yeah, there's and, and nothing, steve gadd there's... Is, is you know he's one of the best drummers in the world isn't he there's nothing rhythmically for him to get his teeth into. No. I mean, have you copped the, on Taxi Taxi, the kind of outro has a kind of um, extended fill, a bit like a, a lame cut price version of Steve Gadd's amazing extended outro on Asia by Steely Dan. The, oh, yes, of course, of course, of course, yes. Um, it, yeah, it, 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 it does hark back. It's like he's doing it with one hand and he's only he's looking out the window or something. You know, you know, you know it just it, it doesn't sound fully invested in the track or something. I don't know what yeah, it is. You can but... hear him shouting taxi. <laughs> yeah. Also, and I wonder if it came from Graham, they, they also made the decision to dispense with the services of, of Paul Burgess for this yeah. album. Yeah. Which must have been a really difficult thing, because he'd been with them as the original 10CC, as their, their touring drummer, and must have, must have been a good friend. It must have been very hard to, to say to Paul, we don't want you at all I for know, this. But why did but, they do that? Because, well, for, for I me, think... for, sorry, for, for me... Paul Burgess's parts on the last two albums were way more interesting than than what Steve Gadd and Simon Phillips are being asked to do on this album. Well, I, I <laughs> I'm afraid I strongly disagree with that. Oh no, no, okay. But what, but why did why did they get rid of Paul? Because I think the songs are t totally different in their style, and they're much less poppy, rocky, and. Um, I think the drumming. I think the drumming on these tracks are fan, is fantastic, and I, I think it's something that it's it's not in Paul's Paul's style at all. In a, a week where, very, very sadly, one of my favourite drummers of all time has died, Neil Peart, or Neil Peart, I don't know how to pronounce it, Neil from Peart, Rush. Yeah, yeah a um, real, real hero who, of mine. Who, who, absolutely, and a real hero of mine, even though I've never been able to definitively work out how to pronounce it. But uh, <laughs> you know, he added so much, to, so much to songs. And I think these, Gad and Phillips, two really famous um, 
session drummers and incredibly highly regarded session drummers I think they've added, added massively with some extremely complicated and un, unusual bits and what I was going to say was I think and I'm just guessing I think that was probably Graham's decision and the reason I say that is Eric doesn't seem to in my opinion treat drums as, as something that is as important as, as they should do if you listen to his Do Not Bend album, it's got a drum machine throughout it. And if you listen to his Viva La, Viva La Difference album, it's it's got, in my opinion, a very pedestrian drummer on it. So, so if he thinks drums, if he, if he thinks that those solo albums didn't need a good drummer, then it's more likely than not that the decision was driven by by Graham. And it also must have led. Yeah, I, I don't. I'm just guessing. I'm just guessing. But I think Gad and, and Phillips made a wonderful contribution to this album. I think what you're saying, Andrew, is 100% right. I, I also think that there might have been a possibility that Paul Burgess may not have been available when they did these sessions. I say that because I know that from what I've read, he's done, you know, he's worked with other people over the years that's gone on tours with a couple other bands as well. But, you know, whatever the case is, I think Steve Gadd adds uh, a different element uh, to these songs, which are more serious you know, uh, related to a theme, you know, theme of the album, you know, what, whether, you know, Eric, you know, reached that theme completely or, uh, you know, was successful in reaching that theme. I, I did meet Simon Phillips some years ago uh, while he was on tour with Pete oh, really? Towns. Yeah, and I asked him about working with 10CC and uh, he, he pretty much said, you know, I've known Eric and Graham and uh, Kevin and, you know, and all those guys, you know, for a lot of years. And I just got a phone call to do a couple sessions, and I basically came in, and they said, "This is what we want." And we rolled tape. We did, you know, the back track, and I was gone. I mean, it wasn't like he was involved in the song so much, more so than just laying down a drum beat and a backing track. And you know, he he seemed to just look at it as a job you know, that he mm. was given. He was called to do a session. So you know, what, whatever the you know the case might be. Uh, I, I don't think uh, Paul being gone took away from anything. I still think that the drummers that were used, you know, do add, you know, to, to the tracks. And on 24 Hours, I think Steve Gadd, you know, the way he plays, you know, the backbeat, you know, the way he plays that section, you know, that that song, you know, the opening, you know, the opening uh, drum rhythm. Uh, I mean, he plays it so tight, you know, that I don't know. I, I just think it works really well. Yeah, no, I, I agree, and that's that's one of the, the the tracks rhythmically that I think works works well. Almost all, the whole of the rest of the album for me is extremely pedestrian rhythm tracks, and uh, when when I must admit when I when I first looked through the the credits of this album, and which was only last year, I bought the album about ten years ago but didn't really look at it in a microscope. But obviously this year with the podcast and everything, I looked at everything more closely and I thought, oh, Steve Gadd and Simon Phillips. Simon Phillips I love from from all that kind of late 70s and early 80s stuff with Gordon Giltrap and, and everyone else. Wonderful. And he was with Toto for a long time as well, wasn't exactly, he? Exactly, exactly. But I have to say that I think both of them are completely underused.
There's another track that I, th I think was a single because I'm sure there's a video for it. Food for Thought, Paul. I'm not, not sure what you feel about that one, but that's possibly, possibly my least favourite 10cc track. Yeah, I, it's it's not not good. I heard that this morning. I still can't remember how it goes. I deliberately played some of these songs this morning. Well, I'm I'll tell sorry. you what, off the top of your head, make, make up a really boring three-note melody. Food for Thought. I remember it now. Yeah, yeah, and it's got. Uh, it's three notes. It's three notes. Yeah, it is three notes. No, just about, isn't it? Food for thought. <laughs> yeah. The thing that nails it for me, the, the thing that really does say, uh, Sean, you, you're never going to like this song. Is is yeah. that the, there's a the awful lyrical device that Eric has, has landed on for this, which is uh -huh. to say, I know what I'll do is I'll throw in loads and loads of references to food and link them to sex. Yeah. Sweet and tasty. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't like... I even don't like the way he sings tasty. It sounds like testy. <laughs> Sweet and testies. Um, just this awful food metaphor going all the way through the song. You know, it, yeah. it, it's it's so cliche. You know, something's cooking, you know, in yeah. the kitchen and in my underpants. Uh, it, it's really uncomfortably naff. Look look back to your, your own song, Life is a Minestrone, Eric. Yeah. A genius song that mentions food. That's so a classic. Well, may well, maybe lol wrote most of the lyrics. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, am um, I being unfair there? Well, I don't know. It's Yeah, I don't like the song. I know the South is cooking. Oh, in your kitchen. I feel my hunger rising. It's an interesting song to me. Because, again, I think Eric is uh, not writing at his best on that song. Mm -hmm. I mean, you mean lyrics, milk and honey, your lips are milk and honey. Tweet and test it. Yeah, yeah. And then he says, uh, he says, uh, I think he says, uh, sweet and tasty, your love is so sweet and tasty. And then he sings something like, your skin's so queasy. <laughs> right? Oh, right? There's, a, there's a lobster in the video. Oh, is it? I mean, Jesus. Does he say creamy there? I thought he said... <laughs> <laughs> creamy had to rhyme with dreamy later on. Yeah, I'm really surprised it's the third single in Holland and actually charted. I mean, that just kind of makes my head you know? And uh, <laughs> I think it charted uh, somewhere in the top 20, maybe 17 or 18. Wow. You know? And, and if you look, I mean, the two singles in the UK were uh, 24 hours, obviously. And... Uh, Feel the love. I think uh, 24 hours got to like 76 or 77, mm -hmm. maybe. 88. And Feel the Love got to 87. I mean, the single version of Feel the Love is is much different than the album version. I mean, it's edited and it's tightened up. But uh, yeah, you know, here we are discussing this album. Andrew really loves it. Sean has you know some problems with it. I kind of yeah, have yeah. been bad with it. But then you look at a country like the Netherlands, and, and here is the song "Feel the Love" in the top ten. You know, I mean, yeah. You know, so, uh, so you yeah. and I are wrong, aren't we? That they they really responded <laughs> well to it. And Andrew's <laughs> right. Andrew is right. <laughs> oh yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> no, I, Sean, I knew you were going to hate "Food for Thought," and to be honest, it's my least favorite track on the album. But it's the one that. But perhaps it isn't as integrated with the rest of the album as the other. It seems to have come from 
from different sessions. Yes. Stuart Tosh is playing drums on it only for this song. Yeah, um, that, that's interesting. Uh, yeah. I, I think. Oh yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Yeah, he's got a, an asterisk, hasn't he, on the on the back yeah. cover there? I just <laughs> I've just seen that. Yeah, it does feel like it's from a completely different breed of songs. Uh, I, I wish they'd left yeah. it off. I really, really do. Uh, well, and interestingly, you know that that third single, "Food for Thought," was backed by a B-side called "The Secret Life of Henry." Yes, um, and until the recent, relatively recent reissue of of Ten CCs of of Windows in the Jungle, that had all been all had been heard of Secret Life of Henry. So nobody had nobody essentially had heard it. Yes. and it's a fantastic song, and it actually lyrically could be argued to to fit in with the theme of the album because it's about a guy um, setting off from suburban life leaving yep. his wife behind and going to lead a very different life in the city and then come back home again very interesting song very good song i think probably musically still wouldn't be a good necessarily lyrically a good fit for the album musically not the same sort of tone perhaps but but i'm, I'm so glad it's been made available on cd i really no like i agree song. it's a really interesting one that and um it's a really unusual thing. I'd much rather they'd have used the B-side than the A-side on the album. And I especially, Andrew, like... Uh, oh, in fact, I love that slow coda at the, the very end of the song. That kind of, there's an emotional note there, mm. an emotional quality that's, that's missing from much of, of 10CC's 80s material for me. There's something that gets my, my heart racing in a way that that little else of what we've talked about tonight uh, uh, has done. So, yeah, even though I, I'm not a big fan of the song Secret Life of Henry, just the ending in itself, yeah, to, to it me, it, 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 there's, there's something that grabs me by the throat. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Sean, I totally agree with you. I, it took me ten years to find a Dutch copy of that single. You know, yes. I'd, I'd read about it, I'd seen it at Liss, but I, I could never find it. I finally, you know, one of my one of my friends uh, in Germany finally sent me a copy of it. You know, and right. you know, it was probably you know ninety four, ninety five when I first heard that song. You know, after waiting all those years, you know, Windows in the Jungle did not come out in the states, so even getting a you know. Uh, copy of the album was difficult for a long time in the states uh you see it once in a while now but uh mostly on cd you know because of all the reissues but secret life of henry i think is is a, you know again falls into that category of you know more than better song as a b-side yeah and you, and you kind of wonder wow why didn't they really i mean I, as andrew said i think it could have fit on the album uh yeah, yeah. well and uh just what you say sean about that ending part does have a little bit of that ambience or that feel yeah. of something that a lot of the Tensy C tracks are, are missing that, you know, in some places, you know, That's it doesn't, right.
we discussed earlier that you know this was kind of a you know Eric's idea for a concept album, and, and uh, Sean, didn't you say that in his autobiography, he felt that he didn't uh, succeed completely? Yeah, right? he felt that this it was a compromise. Paul and I wondered if that was pressure from the record company or pressure from Graham. We don't know. We just don't know. Yeah, but I I, I find that. You know, the idea of this album could have been, you know, is a great idea, but yes. I, I think it does come up short overall. You know, I mean, there's some great stuff on it here and there, and there's some great singing on it, a great musicianship as always. Uh, but, you know, sometimes, you know, uh, you know, like we mentioned about uh, Americana Pomerana, you know, some of the songs just don't seem to uh, they don't say anything. They don't bite, do they? Yeah, they don't, they don't totally pull you in and make you start you know thinking about you know we all know what it's like being in the city you know i i mean we you know there's a lot of things going on in the city it's both exciting it's also terrifying yeah uh i don't get any excitement or or any terror for most of this album either way i just find it to be a nice pleasant album about you know some ideas about you know going to the city and having city life you know you know uh, thrown upon you um and it's a, an, ex- an extremely nice sounding record. It's, it's, it really is beautifully recorded, pristine, crystalline. I mean, you know, I mean, we, we, Paul and I have, have waxed lyrical about the work of Martin Lawrence and Eric Stewart. You know, yeah. the fantastic engineers, and you can really hear that in yeah. this. It, it's it's kind of like a 10cc growing up record, isn't it? I think so. Yes, yes, I agree with all those wonderful things you've said about it. <laughs> I think I've I've said my piece basically. I think it all just fits together so beautifully. Um, uh, I think you know fundamentally where we really disagree more than anything is in the melodies. I just think mm. the melodies are to it to it are beautiful. I think they're extremely challenging to Eric's voice to sing, and he does it does it brilliantly. I think Graham's Graham's bass is fantastic throughout. Production's fantastic throughout. The sax adds hugely to it it's, yeah. it is growing up and it, what I was going to ask you it was very interesting the comment from Panny at the beginning that, that this album more than anything anyone seems to be just split the the 10cc yeah. fandom loads of people yeah. like it loads of people dislike it actually I've got a I've got a, a copy of um, Liam Newton's book mm. well I did have I think I've I think it's found its way into the, the waste now, but uh, I'm pretty sure in that book that he describes it as a, a last great comeback before they've all finished. He, he really liked it. It's just mm. lots yeah. of different opinions out there. Why, why do you think it is that it splits people so much? I think it, I think for for me, I mean, uh, you know, the mid '80s. I mean, there was just so much other stuff going on that people were into. Uh, it's a pretty novel and pretty uh, risky idea to try to do a concept album during that time. I, you know, I mean, when I think of concept albums and think back to, I'm just trying to think of some of the seventies concept albums that, you know, like, like Quadrophenia of the who or something like that. Or consequences yeah. by Godling cream. Just, just yeah. adding, just <laughs> adding that. One. <laughs> I think that people, you know, we're not really interested in, in sitting down and listening to, you know, a 45-minute concept album to hear all the pieces and how they fit. I, I mean, it, it just seems to me that, again, it was kind of out of sync with what was going on. I mean, if you look mm. at, 
you know, the new wave stuff, you know, anything that even Depeche Mode or Human League, you know, or any, you know, even bands, like you said, uh, Heaven 17, I mean, they, they were doing albums with great tracks. I mean, the, the idea, I mean, when you bought one of their albums, it was an album of separate tracks. They may, they may have had a slightly common theme, but uh, mm. this whole album seems to be one long themed album where it just kind of goes into different facets of the theme um, whether it works or not well we're discussing it we have different opinions about it but I, I think the uh, overall public at the time you know and, and even you know these guys being older and trying to act you know or trying to write something you know to sound hip and you know young and uh, in sync with the times you know they had too many things going against it and I think that's why there's so many uh varied opinions on it and such extreme opinions yeah i agree and it's it's not a concept album because it kind of copped out didn't it there's only yeah what three four five songs that kind of fit with the concept and the rest are kind of pretty limp singles i re i actually wish they'd gone the full the you know gone the whole hog and actually done a proper concept album I get the sense that Eric really wanted to make this a kind of movie, an audio movie. The Inner Sleeve, which I love, has got all those photos, I, I assume, from the American tour. Was that the 82 tour, Andrew, do you think? On the Inner Sleeve? Um, I don't have the LP with the Inner Sleeve in it anymore, oh, unfortunately. It's, it's, it's fantastic. Lovely, yeah, lovely, I did have it. Lovely oh, sepia um, photos of... of I think taken by a photographer or, or Eric actually, because they mm. they just capture backstage it's a, a bit. A, it's a bit seedy. There are pictures of skyscrapers and signs and, and and them in the dressing rooms and so on. That that's what I wanted to hear on this album. That yeah. that that kind of that very real gritty sense of New York. But I get very 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 little sense of New York from this record. Um, I love the idea of it, but I, I, in practice, I think it's a it's a real failure. Yeah, I, it's John, and I was going to say it's not a very visual album for the no. most part. At times, there's you know even when you know it mentions like you know uh, Doctor Wizard JFK. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you know I might think of John Lennon's face or JFK's face, but other than that, I don't think about being in the city and looking up and. You know, barely not being able to see the sky because it's blocked by these giant skyscrapers. Yeah, yeah. Creates an ambience that, you know, kind of, you kind of go, whoa, you know, this is different. A rather sad downbeat end for the band to go out on, but I guess. Uh, yeah. That was inevitable, and, and they, they called it a day almost immediately afterwards, actually, didn't they? Yes, that's right. Um, and I presume there was no touring as 10cc for a few years either, were there? Ooh, well, some others would know better than us. I mean, like I say, I saw them in 1983. I don't I don't think I saw them then until the kind of slightly ill-fated reunion tour in, might have been, 93. Yes. So, yeah, that, that would have been right... Um, I mean, they were both interested in other things. Graham, by this stage, was... Uh, there was that period, wasn't there, when Andrew Gold came over to England 
for a few months or quite a long while and he really got together with Graham and they started working as common knowledge which eventually yes. went into wax so his energy you know his his engines were uh, were restarted by that collaboration and yeah. Eric of course all around this time was was doing a lot of stuff he was co-producing Agneta's album yeah uh, he was um, working with Paul McCartney a lot, you know. Yeah, he was on um, was it three albums, wasn't it, with with, with Macca? Yeah, and this was even prior to the, the sort of big collaboration where they co-produced and co-wrote songs on Press to Play. Yeah. Eric was on Tug of War, Pipes of Peace, and Give My Regards to Broad Street. So oh, okay. that, that spanned that spanned a long a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, so he obviously was doing lots of other things as well, and probably others I'm I'm not aware of. Eric had a second solo album, didn't he? Uh, Fruity Rooties. Yeah. That was 82. Um, and then I think there was a long gap, wasn't there, um, until his, his his final solo albums, I think, that were released in the early noughties. Am I right? Yes, that's right. I think think he's done three, and they're very much uh, different kettle of fish, you know, yes. smaller scale, done in France at his, his home studio. Yeah, very much a kind of a solo, a solo effort, aren't they? Yeah. But for 10TC, the game was sadly nearly up. Um, yes, for and, now, and, for now at least. Yes, um, and to go out with a whimper like that uh, after those those past glories is is really sad. And if I'm completely honest, Paul, I I sort of wish they'd knocked it on the head in the 70s. Um, Bloody tourists hmm. would have been. A, a better way to bow out, in my opinion, than than, than to carry on. And I know that is v- incredibly callous of me to say it. I mean, mm. this is a band who needed a career. They needed to sell records. They needed to tour. Yeah. But but their their live shows were were a lot more effective, weren't they, than than the studio records? Yeah, I should say. Put a word in for those live shows. They were always really good live. And, and they got and they know, got better and better live as well, didn't they? Yeah, that that show I saw in '83 was was brilliant. Yeah, um, and the one I, I think I saw them the year before, and maybe the year before that as well. And they were they always delivered live. But yeah, uh, but recordings was their raison d'être. Writer, they were writers, weren't they? Yes, were, um, and fantastic writers. But you know, uh, the, the light uh, had gone out though. I think um, on on a lot of this stuff, there just just doesn't seem to be the creative spark. There doesn't seem to be any of the genius for lyric writing or melody writing. No, and production Maybe. ideas. There's, there's very little of the invention uh, left. Um, the, the, the kind of inventiveness that Eric was was achieving back in the seventies. Some incredible moments. Some some moments of genius. Uh, and, yeah. and yet here, in some cases, they just seem to have pressed the record button. Yes, I can't add to that. I think you're right. Mm. So yeah, I'm I'm left with a with a very empty feeling in my tummy there, Paul, with uh, an album that I probably struggle to give four out of ten to. <sighs> yeah. I'd like to see you, but then again, that doesn't mean you mean that much to me. I think that this album didn't come out in the U.S. because you know I because at the time you know they're they did have a contract in the U.S. when this album was released in Europe. Uh, okay. So uh, it's interesting that it was just never available over here, and it's it's kind of funny because you know it's an album about 
in some regards, America, you know, some of the things like, you know, uh, food for thought. And, well, 24 you know, hours is about New York, yeah. isn't it? Americana Panorama. Yeah. And, you know, most 10 CC fans that I made have never heard this album because they've never, you know, they, they, they know all the other albums, but this one, it's like one of those lost albums that didn't really get played a lot in the States. Mm. And I've given copies of it to people over the years. And some people, like I said, before really like it, really get into it, and other people kind of go, doesn't really say much. So yeah, but that that's probably the most fascinating aspect of it, isn't it? Yeah. And I've yeah. I've loved this whole, you know, this this whole kind of binary debate that we've had. Um, very interesting. Let me just say good luck with the editing. But uh, <laughs> let me say this: uh, I, I kind of brought this up before. You know, Ten CC is a band. You know, with just Graham and Eric, uh, they changed as a band. I mean, I, I've gotten to a point with these later albums, you know, meaning, you know, after the split and after uh, Bloody Tourists. Um, yeah, they, these albums have some problems and, and there's some good stuff on them if you really dig into them. Yeah. But I, I think they're more of a pop band than anything else. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. But if you have expectations of it being like the first, you know, four albums... Uh, you know, they're a bit of a letdown, and mm. I, I think Eric and Graham are both amazing writers when they want to be, and whatever other pressures were pulling on them during, the, you know, 1981 to 1983 or 84, uh, I, I think these uh, attempts to put out a new albums were, were kind of half-hearted, unfortunately, and mm. in spite of the fact that, you know, I, I do like some of Look Here, and I do like a lot of 10 out of 10, and I do like a lot of windows in the jungle uh, there's a lot of things that I, I skip over when i listen to the albums because i just don't i just don't get it i don't yep. feel the i think sean you mentioned you just don't feel it you know no our poor listeners of the podcast have, have heard me moaning already about yeah, the, diffi- okay the, dif- the difficulty i I've, i have with these later albums in fact yeah. from side two of bloody tourists right to the the death knell you know of mirror yeah. mirror I'd, I'd rather those albums didn't exist, actually. And, and that's, think, that's horrible for me to say. I'd rather I have five or maybe six albums as, as a kind of a perfect collection of a band that were great in the 70s rather than a band that went down the toilet in the 80s and 90s. And I can't shake that feeling. Um, I love 10CC, and uh, it's only loyalty that means I'm sitting here talking to you guys across the yeah. fucking Atlantic and across, you know, the British Isles, talking about albums that I don't like very much. It's yeah, loyalty yeah. that's doing that. I wouldn't do it for a band that I, I didn't like. These yeah. albums I would just ignore. I would, you know, I wouldn't even buy them in a bargain bin. Yeah, there is a lot of loyalty. Uh, I mean, during this period of TCC's uh, history, as a fan... You know, we'd get excited about a new Tennessee out meeting yeah. me and my brother. You know, he'd bring it home and we'd just sit down and listen to it for hours, you know. But we'd be so excited because we were such big fans and we are still big fans. And we always hoped that we might hear of, you know, Eric Stewart putting out a new single or, or even Graham doing something and going and just being floored by it. But, yeah. uh, you know, it's kind of it's kind of like, you know, all the years we've been Beach Boy fans, Sean. Hmm. And people always, you know, Brian Wilson, they're always, you know, Brian, when are you going to write another Pet Sounds? You know, I mean, it's not going to happen, is it ever? 
and how difficult is that to do? You know, to reach into your soul and pull out every ounce of uh, energy you have. Yeah, at the age know. of seventy plus. Yeah, at seventy plus. Let it's alone thir- thirty plus yeah. or forty plus, as we're talking here. Thank you both. Yeah. Bless you. And Shawnee. Thanks, and Andrew. been listening to the consequences podcast produced by paul mcnulty and sean mccreevy thanks for listening